What is going on, comic book movie fans? My name is Jonathan. This is Comic Book Cinema, where we bring you the best comic book movie content. And today, once again, we're joined by a special guest, Mr. Jay Light. How you doing, Jay? Hello, Jonathan. I'm good. Good to be back with you. This is very interesting to me. You are probably one of the few people that I know, or well, I guess I don't really know you that well, but one of the We know each other I've, now. <laughs> one of the few people that I've met that's never seen the original 1989 Batman film until just recently for this review. Yeah, somehow it completely has missed me over the years. As somebody who loves movies, I also unfortunately have a gigantic gap of movies that are like all-time classics that I haven't seen. This happened yep. to be one of them until yesterday. It happens. I know that me watching this film as a kid literally molded me. <laughs> it turned me into the monster that I am right now. I mean, it, you know. It really made you dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Absolutely. I was dancing. When I was like four, maybe four or five years old, Obviously, this movie was already out for a few years at that time. I was born in the late 80s. Okay. When this movie came out, it literally changed everything for me. When I was a kid watching this, and then the sequel came out in 92. And honestly, I was shocked at how well this film holds up. When you go back and watch the older Superman films, which we talked about on another, on another episode, there's a lot of cheesiness to them, especially when it comes to the special effects that's just hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. But with this film, there are some little things here and there that are hard to ignore. For example, he feels the need to do to do this every, <laughs> every five <laughs> seconds when he's Batman. But overall, I was really shocked with how well the movie held up. What do you think? I mean, I kind of feel the same way. And I... You know, like you said, I have not seen this Batman before. I, this is actually out of all of the Batman movies. This is the last one, I guess, if you count the the original, the Adam West Batman movie from back in the day. But this is the the last of the like the modern Batman series that I had not seen. Was not a huge fan of Batman Returns. I was worried that this was going to feel tonally like Batman Returns, where it's sort of dark and really Tim Burtony. In that sort of, you know, I mean, there's no other way to say it really other than it's Tim Burtony. He's got yeah. his own style. He's got his own flair to it. But I feel like this surprised me in a lot of really nice ways with how true to that sort of campy Batman it felt while also having more modern touches. It had some really great, great acting. I was a huge fan of Jack Nicholson as the Joker. He plays it really well. I like Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne and Batman. It's just a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful little bat movie. And I was really happy that I finally had this, this domino knocked down on my wall of Batman movies. I really just movies I hadn't seen. I feel like more of a nerd and less of an outcast now, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's the thing. Like, I can remember always, like, thinking back. I even watched this, like, maybe 10 years ago-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. And just maybe because of the period that I was in in my life at that time where I was just like, oh, that's just so cheesy and uncool, you know. I'm really looking forward to this, you know. And, of course, <laughs> the, the Dark Knight. I mean, you know, the Dark Knight is, is the Dark Knight. But right. Like you said, Nicholson's performance, man, like there is a lot of subtle things that are just like creepy as hell. When he literally like murders this guy with 
first of all, it's cheesy that he uses this electrical buzzer on his hand or whatever. But yeah, the joy buzzer. But at the same time, like this dude is literally like a corpse, a smoking corpse. And he mm -hmm. has a conversation with this corpse. That whole bit, man, was just creepy. And then he ends it by tightening the tie up on the neck of this corpse. It's like, yeah. I'm glad you're dead. And he just laughs like that was a very maniacal joker, man. It's a really good joker. And I think, you know, obviously it's hard to top. If it stars uh, the Joker going to talk to a group of criminals, it's hard to beat. Hey, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. what Jack Nicholson's doing here with the the level of glee that he brings to the performance, especially one of my favorite sequences was him doing the television ad for the Smilex gas and yeah. the, uh, it being in all the products. I thought that was so good. And even... I, I mean, the confidence that he brings to the performance, like him, that one scene where he's cutting the pictures out of the magazines and he's leaving them all around. And then he has uh, uh, Vicky Vale's photo and he just perfectly effortlessly cuts it out on the first try. In my mind, I'm like, oh, that's Jack Nicholson. He he nailed it in one take. They didn't need to do any other ones. He didn't even cut himself. They didn't bring in a stunt pair of scissors. They didn't have to do any cutaways. That's that's professionalism. That's what you get when you book an actor who's demanding top billing, even though he's the second tier character in this movie. One could argue that Nicholson's performance in this film maybe elevated the Joker as a character in a lot of ways, making that character so much more iconic than he was before. Because I often wonder how iconic the Joker really was before this film came out. Because we all know now, that is probably, if not the most iconic, you know, it's in the top three easily as far as comic book movie villains. Right. But I think that that Jack Nicholson here in his prime did a lot for this character and yeah. for this film. I would go on record and say that Jack Nicholson is easily a top three Joker in Joker cinematic history or in any, in any of the Batman universe. We're going, I mean, Heath Ledger, you can't beat. Mark yeah. Hamill got to be number two, but Jack Nicholson, he's my he's my solid third third choice. Yeah, I think that Jack Nicholson might be my number two. Honestly, Whew. I mean he's he's great. This is something that I think is interesting too. Just taking ourselves, like you know, obviously, I think you're younger than me, maybe right? A little maybe? bit, yeah. I was born in 1990, which also explains why I did not see this movie. My parents probably thought this movie uh, was. Not right for my little little baby brain, which makes sense. Yeah. It, it was dark, man. And that's that transitions us beautifully into what I was about to talk about. Imagine like being in that era and the last Batman that we had seen at that time, which wasn't long ago, it was only 20 years prior to this film, was the Adam West Batman. And here you are 20 years later and audiences, just imagine what they expected versus what they actually got with this yeah. film and how dark it was, and like I said, that bit with the Joker, like, killing that dude, and there was a lot of edgy stuff in this film, and it was very dark. Yeah, I think this is, this straddles the line well between being dark, but also still having the playfulness to it that those old-school Adam West versions of Batman had. Obviously, we're going in a total different direction later on when you get Joel Schumacher involved in yeah. terms of bringing the camp and bringing the playfulness, but I think what Tim Burton does really well here is make sure that he's paying homage to these old style, very campy, very heightened comic book 
performances and these comic book characters, but you don't feel like there's uh, it, it feels like you're actually under threat. Like it feels like there's a level of danger here that doesn't quite come through. I think in the same way that it does in Batman returns, which is like full on danger and darkness throughout. I feel like here there's still enough light touches, right? There's still moments where Batman is cracking jokes and there's still moments where the Joker is literally like going meta and calling for Prince to score his movie. You know, you don't have stuff like that happening in in a lot of comic book movies outside of, I don't, I don't know, maybe Deadpool is the only other time I can think of where somebody's like going meta and it makes sense in the, in the context of the movie. But here it's just like, oh, it fits. It feels like the Joker's this sort of character who kind of exists in a way to playfully screw with the people in his universe. And I think that that, that that having him be the villain in this first Batman, in this first, like, all right, here's modern Batman now, and here's what we're going to give you. I feel like the Joker as a villain sets you up well as an audience member to be like, all right, cool. This is where Batman's going from here on out. I'm on board. You mentioned the Schumacher films, and I think that that's why I thought of, you know, not just this one, but the sequel to this one as well, Batman Returns. That's why I had thought of these movies as less than what they actually were because I kind of clumped them together with the Schumacher films. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these these first two, especially this one, is just so much better than those Schumacher films. I mean, head and shoulders, like my daughter says, knees and toes. <laughs> better. <laughs> There's stuff that's happening in this one that doesn't happen in really any other Batman film too, which I really appreciate. I mean, you've got... Yeah. It feels like it's so common now to have Batman have a romance with one of his villains. I'm so glad that they went the Vicky Vale route in this instead. It just felt like something we don't we've we haven't really seen it outside of this and and Christopher Nolan's early Batman films. It's kind of like an ongoing joke that Batman is always a womanizer. (laughs) And I don't know if you ever watched those animated shorts on YouTube. I think it's called High She Animation. No, they make how movies should have ended. And that's like an ongoing joke in all their videos. Like Batman's always like, hi, I'm Batman. Would you like to know my secret identity? (laughs) And he always like allows himself to make poor decisions around females. Right. That's that's Batman's pickup artist move is he's going to show up to the club wearing the bat suit. And then he's going to get a lady home and go, hey, you want to you want to. Take a you want to take a spin in the cowl? You want to see what the bat cave looks like? <laughs> <laughs> the special effects obviously haven't aged well, but the bat suit still looks phenomenal to me. It, it looks really well done. The Batmobile, that's a very iconic Batmobile. And there's so much to like about this film. I went into this film thinking, like, oh boy, here we go. You know, it's two plus hours. I'm sure this is gonna be torture. But as I was watching it, I was like, man, that you know, I really gained a whole new appreciation for this film. And it caused me to raise it up just a bit on my rankings list. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this too, especially about the effects. Obviously, we're, we're dealing with stuff that's happening in the 80s. It's going to look a little different and a little bit more dated. But to Tim Burton's credit and to the effects team's credit, they at least put all of the stuff that would look a little fake on dark backgrounds. They're making it so it's harder to see the seams in the filmmaking process. When you see people falling from buildings, when you see balloons getting released over a skyline that's clearly not happening live in camera, you don't really look at it as, 
oh, this is so obviously done digitally. This is so obviously done with editing and effects compared to now where you have all these Marvel movies where there's so much CGI that happens that you can see the seams in CGI because it's all happening. This bright candy colored world that's where Marvel has gotten to now with this very vibrant filmmaking. It really calls out when there's stuff that is being digitally done. There is stuff that's effects and it looks even though this stuff is dated, it at least doesn't feel like it's out of place the way that I've felt about some modern special effects uh, sequences. I agree. I think that's just like Hollywood in general. It seems like mm -hmm. in that era, in the late 80s, early 90s, even, I mean, like when you look at stuff like Jurassic Park and the Terminator 2, yeah. you know, they were better at masking the subtleties, you know, of, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I mean, no, you're, you're the subtlety is the I think that's the perfect way to explain it, where yeah. it felt like they were using the effects in a way that added to the filmmaking and the storytelling as opposed yeah. to using them as a crutch. There's mm -hmm. a difference that happens in the in the final product when you're leaning on using effects versus when you're allowing them to enhance your film. And yeah. that is really, really, really obvious in this batman it's like oh cool tim burton knows to sprinkle a little bit of it on at the right times and yeah. sure you're going to be able to tell watching it now oh yeah there's a green screen being used here there's definitely a fake background inserted but it doesn't feel out of place it's quick enough that it happens you're like oh okay this is fine <laughs> this is they they did what they did what they could with what they had i get it the way he kind of balanced all the different types of special effects masked everything a little better like so it wasn't like you were always expecting every time you saw a certain shot like oh that's going to be a miniature set or oh that's going to be cgi mm -hmm. you know he just kind of sprinkled it sprinkled the love out i guess and and kind of used different types of methods and i think that's something that modern day hollywood can learn a lot from like don't get completely away from the practical special effects utilize that just as much or as much as you can you know do as much as you can practically but then also you can sprinkle that CGI. I think that's when CGI really shines is when it's done, like we said, more subtly, less heavy reliance on it. And the entire background is CGI and I'm CGI. <laughs> My arm is CGI. You got to be salt bay with the CGI. You got to just do a little sprinkle of it at the very end. Don't don't throw it on throughout the entire process because then the final product's just going to taste uh, disgusting. Yeah, you know, something interesting to me when you look at modern day superhero films and, and actors that portray, you know, like look at Thor, for instance, look at Captain America, Chris Hemsworth. I'm sorry that Chris Hemsworth and then Chris Evans. Too many Chris's. Basically the expectation in modern superhero films is that your lead gets so jacked. They got to put in yeah. this weightlifting regimen and change their diet for months at a time to have this look. Hugh Jackman is another person that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Michael Keaton here in this film, I mean, he looked like me and you, you know, like. He's just <laughs> a guy. Like the yeah. expectations of today versus then. I mean, that's the thing, too. I think Batman at his essence, or Bruce Wayne, rather, is the, the joke always is, oh, Batman's just a rich guy who bought his superpowers, basically. When you see the way that Christopher Nolan took on the character, okay, yeah, it makes sense why Christian Bale had this transformation. The same with Rob Pattinson, right? I feel like it makes sense where you see him have this transformation when you see the way he's fighting in those films. And this 
hey, uh, Michael Keaton's just a guy. And this one, Bruce Wayne seems like he's kind of just a guy, too. So let's let Michael Keaton just keep his same body and eat whatever he was eating to make Beetlejuice. And hey, that'll make, that'll be fine. We're going to do a lot with the breastplate. We're going to do a lot with padding on yeah, the costume. It work, though. The, yeah. The suit did a lot of the work. And it's also interesting at that time period, that's when Sylvester Stallone and some of the other big name action stars were complaining that, oh, they can just put any little guy into a big superhero suit and make him Superman or whatever the case. But I didn't have a problem with it. I know that just looking at movies and casting now, like for instance, when Pattinson was announced as the new Batman, imagine if he would have came up on the stage at Comic-Con or something and literally just been like a skinny, normal looking dude. Mm-hmm. how much backlash there would have been from that passionate comic book movie audience. I know. It's so crazy that you actually have to be in shape to be in a comic book movie now. <laughs> I mean, it's really ruined the average guy's chances of ever making it in Hollywood, at least as a big time superhero. Yep. Our hopes are dashed, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, no chance. I'm going to keep eating whatever I'm going to eat red beans and rice for breakfast. The way I did this, this morning, <laughs> that's not going to keep me getting into superhero movies. One of my big hangups about the film was the master plan of Jack Nicholson's Joker. Those commercials you said you liked the love that Joker, you know, and I like mm-hmm. elements of it too, but like his master plan to poison the city, you know, it just seemed a bit extravagant, a bit too much like the Adam West era Batman villain mastermind plans. I think that that's one one major thing for me at least that makes the movie kind of take a bit of a nosedive towards the conclusion. What do you think about it? I mean, I think that that plan, just like any villain's master plan, it's got to find itself falling apart at the last possible second. If you're going to go with a big campy plan, I think that Jack Nicholson's the right guy to pull it off. Like I said, he's got that sort of old school vibe, but with the new school menace he feels like an actual threat and this plan feels like it's an actual potential disaster compared to some of the other, uh, uh, who knows what other stuff happened in, in these Adam West Batmans. I haven't seen them in years, but if, if you can imagine the levels of silliness that probably went to some of those thoughts and some of those plans from the Joker's mind to, I'm going to poison the whole city with, uh, with gas, at a big parade. I mean, it's pretty smart. He's going to give away, he's giving away free money. He knows how to trick these people into coming and, and dying at his hand. I don't know. Like for me, I just found myself thinking like, uh, that's the Joker. You would think would have a, even Heath Ledger's Joker in the, in the dark Knight talks about how he doesn't have a plan and he's not conniving, but he had a plan in that film. He had right. lots of big plans. At really the heart of it, that's the difference between Heath Ledger's Joker and Jack Nicholson's Joker, is that Heath Ledger's playing the Joker as a psychopath terrorist. And yeah. Jack Nicholson is just a guy who has, you know, he's a criminal. He's, he's got some aspirations, but he's not a criminal mastermind. He's just a, he's just a wacky guy who happened to find himself in a position of power and chemically altered forever uh, the way he looks. Hey, he doesn't have real scars the way that uh, that Heath Ledger's Joker does, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it was the very, you know... Uh, the rictus grin, yeah. Yeah, and also it was interesting to me how 
he had to put makeup on to look like a normal person versus, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was like permanently like his face was permanently colored to look like a clown's face. Right. It's different. It's it was unique. And the movie definitely gets brownie points for for being especially like so far ahead of its time and a trendsetter in a lot of ways. This movie definitely deserves a lot of credit. It. It really set the pace for what modern superhero movies could be. You can still feel the way its effects resonate today, I think, in in, in superhero Absolutely. filmmaking. Especially with Batman. Yeah. Here comes Mr. Criticizer. Oh, boy. Action My to- least favorite Batman villain, Mr. Criticizer. They <laughs> the left him in the 50s happened. the way they should have. <laughs> I, I guess that I'm trying to be fair and hold it to the same standard of the modern day superhero film. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the action, it just leaves a lot to be desired, at least for me personally. You, you don't get an epic choreographed, super cool fight. I mean, you get a little bit of, you know, Batman doing this number to somebody that's standing mm-hmm. right behind him. And for its time, yes, it's it, it was cool. If I'm holding it to today's standards, which I try to do with all the superhero films, the action, like I said, falls short. Yeah, what this film lacks definitely is action in terms of fight sequences fight choreography which has become a huge part of of superhero filmmaking now what it does get right though and i think that this is hard to pull off well is having big set pieces in terms of uh you know things like the big narrative set pieces the the big sequences where you're going to look at it and you'll be like, okay, that's like a signature scene. The balloon sequence and the parade, I think is a really like, it's really pulled off. Well, all of the, the sequence happening where the Joker falls into the vat for the first time, that whole sequence is done very well. I think if we're talking action set pieces, big budget kind of stuff, there's some stuff that is done quite effectively some of these modern superhero movies need to go back and take a look and see how those were pulled off and not feel just arbitrarily thrown in in order to use up all of your effects budget another minor gripe you can definitely see that it's clearly the stunt double for keaton versus actually being keaton in the yeah bits where i was shocked how close the camera was and everything else and like how long he was on screen it was it would be like a shot literally like this, like mm-hmm. in scene, but it was that long. Like I was kind of like, okay guys, you know, you could have put Keaton there in the mask for that little bit, but right. like I said, it's another minor complaint. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> you know, Knox, the guy that the, the reporter that's always with Vicky Bale. Oh yeah. The gas is going everywhere, going crazy. And, or he grabs a little N95, like, <laughs> It's not going to say it's not it's not the level of respirator that he needs in order to filter yeah. out the Smilex gas. And not to mention literally like Vicky Bell's inside the car, like that's protecting her from outside, you know, like she's right there. I thought that there were some minor problems with some of these things that I'm talking about. But like I said, it's very minor gripes, so I'm mm-hmm. not going to harp on it too much. The parallels and, and the similarities between this Batman and the one that we got in The Dark Knight. And maybe I didn't realize it a lot whenever The Dark Knight came out because I hadn't seen this movie like hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of similarities there. Like the scene where Batman's in the Nightwing and he's coming towards uh, Nicholson's Joker and and Nicholson's Joker's like, come on, come on. Come on, I want you to do it. Come on, yeah. Yeah. 
it really like brought me back to that scene that you just mentioned there. Like I was like, wow, that's really neat. And I never really saw that parallel until just now. Yeah, I loved that. That part made me, it got the hairs back on my neck up a little bit. I was like, oh, they really, somebody was thinking about it when they were writing The Dark Knight. That was really cool, I thought. And another minor complaint, I guess you could say, it depends on your definition of minor, but I don't like how they feel the need to make Joker the killer of Batman's parents. It wasn't like that in the comics. In the comics, it was just same way with the Nolan trilogy. It was just some mm -hmm. random guy. Just some random guy. You don't need to give a, give him that extra motivation to want to take out the Joker. Yeah. He, the only motivation that he needs to take out the Joker is just literally like the things that the Joker has done, the chaos that he causes, and this guy is going to be better behind bars. So we need to do something about it versus feeling the need to make it. And they did the same thing in the Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix Joker slightly, but, you know, with a little bit. Yeah. yeah like, they made him the reason, you know, Batman's parents were killed, not necessarily the killer. Right. But I don't like it when they do that. I think that it's just unnecessary. Yeah, it feels like these characters should have enough of a motivation that you don't need to tack on this extra layer of, oh, they also killed Batman's parents. Yeah. It just, it just, it's unnecessary. There's enough richness to this villain as it is. You don't need to throw in an extra detail that you know is going to piss off the fans if you had to give this movie a rating mr j on a scale Ooh. from zero to ten, zero being awful dreadful i'd never want to see it again and 10 being mwah, the most perfect movie ever where would it fall for you i really like this movie i would totally watch it again i gave i would give this movie a solid seven out of ten okay it's it gets the job done it, it really plants its flag. It's a little too long for me, and it doesn't really capture me. It didn't have my full attention the way that I have felt other Batman movies were able to pull off. Yeah. But it's planting its flag. It's saying, hey, this is where Batman and filmmaking for superhero movies is going to go from here on out. And I tell you what, it holds up. You know what I don't take into consideration whenever I rate films? And a lot of people think I'm crazy for this. When a film is a pioneer in a lot of ways, I respect it, but it doesn't give it any more kudos to me when sure. I'm trying to rate these films, especially like, like I talked about earlier, when I'm comparing them and contrasting them to films that are out now with stories and action set pieces and things of that nature. So my rating for this film, which I think is high, is a five because at Whoa. the end of the day, like I said, the, the plot, you know, the, the grand scheme of things when it comes to Jack Nicholson's Joker, he was very great as the Joker, but his plan at the end of the film was just so cheesy for me and just so, <laughs> oh, are we serious, guys? Is this really what's going to happen? Like his master plan. And, and I get it. I think you brought up some good points as far as, well, that's not the type of Joker that he is. But at the end of the day, me giving this film a five is not does not mean the movie's crap. It means that the movie was was good, but when you try to sit down and watch it now, like you said, it's long, and there's a lot of things that are cheesy in it. As a film overall, that's where I'm at. With all that being said, Jay, why don't you let us know where we can find you on the other social medias? Of course. You can find me at Diet J on all social media platforms. And if you want to check out my podcast, Blockbusting, the podcast where we love to hate movies, you can do that at Blockbusting Pod 
on all social media platforms, Blockbusting Podcast on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And you've already found us on YouTube. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. It really helps me. It really helps us. It helps the channel uh, to grow and thrive. Check us out on Instagram and TikTok at the same handle, at Real Comic Book Cinema. We're also on Facebook. Until next time, have a good one, guys.